Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 299. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of The Marvels, directed by Nia DaCosta, written by Nia DaCosta, Megan McDonald, and Alyssa Karasik. And The Marvels is a Kevin Feige production. Before our spoiler review begins, we want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus, where you can hear us talk about extra MCU news and topics like the performance of the Marvels, as well as other related MCU news that's been going around a lot, uh, a lot to discuss over the past couple of weeks. So you can catch up with that there on Fanshow Plus, as well as first impressions for things like Loki, the Marvels as well. For more spoiler talk on the Marvels, all available at Fanshow Plus, whether you check that out at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can find the episodes right here in the same feed on Apple Podcasts where you found this episode, and go ahead and subscribe. Also, make sure you follow us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot to us. It certainly helps the show. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm exhausted, but uh, I am ready. I am ready to to bear witness of the Marvels that uh, is a, a lightning rod, but maybe for the wrong reasons. But I, I, for one, am looking forward to talking about this. I didn't even tease what my thoughts were out there about this movie yet. So I'm uh, I'm kind of going into this a little, a little bit dark, not dark necessarily, but just kind of under the radar myself like i've got kind of busy and and uh it's i'll just i just want to open with this really quick i do feel that it's unfortunate this had to open in conjunction with loki to be honest because i would like to have more to ruminate on both of these things absolutely because because the problem is is like i'm not saying my brain isn't you know big enough to comprehend and and absorb these things they are it well kind of is but problem is i want to give them the fair due more than anything well and we still have the same amount of time in a day and and like the same amount of days mm-hmm. in a week so why yeah. have it overlap when it's not necessary but uh, yeah and, and i i will just say with because we felt that way that's not even the reaction or the response to what's happening right now we talked about sure. that in advance when things were going to land this way with loki and the marvels how maybe that wasn't the best idea <laughs> and that by the way is not at least i don't think for you and i know not for me not a suggestion as to how it impacted the box office performance. Clearly, the one factor that affected negatively impacted yeah, the Marvel's yeah. box office performance was Paul not sending his vague reaction tweet because he always does that, and then he doesn't do it, and now Marvel Studios <laughs> has its lowest opening ever. Coincidence? Well, I think not. It's all Paul's enough. fault. We can agree. So, right. But no, that's not actually what this show... Is going to be about. I'm sure there are, are those of you out there wondering what our thoughts are on that and what we think happened because everybody's doing the post-mortem right now of what happened with the Marvels. Why did it end up having the lowest opening weekend in MCU history and what's going on with Marvel and the state of Marvel and all of those things? This is not that show. It's not to say that that's not a worthy topic to discuss we will be discussing those topics, I know for sure, on an episode of Fan Show Plus, and maybe we will continue to follow up on it as more things develop with MCU Fan Show. But for this episode, it is what the title of the episode says. This is our spoiler review of the Marvels. This is a time for us to actually talk about 
the movie, not the performance of the movie, the the stories and news surrounding the movie, just the movie itself and what we thought of it and why. Because I, I think, obviously, we see a wide range of opinions out there, people really liking the movie, people not liking the movie. Obviously, there were plenty of people who looked at it and decided to stay away from the movie for whatever reason, because of fear of homework or whatever it is. Again, uh, we'll have a chance to deep dive into those types of subjects at a, a later time. And it's not to say that none of that will bleed into the conversation, but it's certainly not going to be the main point of this conversation because the Marvels, like every other feature film chapter of the MCU before it, at least as long as we've been covering them on MCU Fan Show or Modern Myth Media and the now just way too long lineage of podcasts that we've done, we want to make sure we give this feature film the treatment that it deserves with this spoiler review and gets the focus that it deserves just as a story within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that is what we shall do. And we will we will do as best we can to kind of go through the major beats of, of the movie. Don't have the luxury of being able to rewatch a thousand times on it's not a thousand times, but a bunch of times on Disney Plus before seeing the episode. But I have seen the movie a couple of times now and looking have been looking forward to sharing my thoughts in this spoiler review and also hearing what Paul thinks as well. So before we get into the specific scene by scene stuff, beat by beat, character by character, I will just say from an overall standpoint, Paul. I really like this movie a lot. I think that it is powered in the the positive things that this movie has are largely powered by the three leads by Brie Larson as Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel, Tiana Paris as uh, Monica Rambeau slash Professor Marvel, or if she doesn't want that name, I'll take it. So Professor Marvel, not really the name or not Spectrum either, not quite Photon either, although according to merchandise, the name is Photon. I don't think they actually settled on that during the movie. Yeah. But then, of course, Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. I, I think we knew pretty early on, Paul, that Iman was a superstar in the making, and now we've just seen her star continue to rise or shine on, as she puts it, in the movie. And she just absolutely does an amazing job. She is uh, just absolutely fantastic in this film, as are the rest of the Khan family, who just also did a great job of stealing the scenes that uh, that they were in, particularly Zenobia Shroff as Muniba Khan, Kamala's mother, but also uh, Mohan Kapoor, Yusuf, that's uh, Kamala's father, as well as uh, Sagar Sheikh as Amir, the, Kamala's brother. Just an amazing job by that family that added a whole lot of heart and a whole lot of charm to this movie that already had its share, as I said, from those three main leads. So there was a lot, Paul, that I found very entertaining and fun in this movie. It obviously moved very, very quick, as I think, what, the shortest movie in Marvel Studios history. And I, I would say that's not to say that it doesn't have flaws. It does, or certainly I found some that we will get into as the as the show goes on. But I also found a lot that I really, really liked here. It's not necessarily an immediate, stone-cold, instant MCU classic. But it was a really, really fun movie. And I don't say that as faint praise of I have to use fun because there's not another adjective that's that this movie is deserving of. It is something that I found to be uh, heartfelt, really entertaining. It was upbeat. I thought the action also looked really good in most of the action scenes. It, it looked really slick. I also really, for the most part, enjoyed the pacing of the movie because it really just, frankly, it, it kind of knew what it was and it just kept things moving sometimes at the expense of maybe some moments that could have been uh, could have been given a little bit longer to breathe and kind of sink in I, I think for at least for myself as an audience member 
So definitely some things that I think held this movie back. There were some shortcomings, but I did enjoy my overall experience of watching this movie, and I was very entertained by it. What do you think? I, I'm pretty much in the same camp. I There's obviously going to be some flaws in this movie that we'll talk about and things we, we may not always like and, and what have you. But I, I got to say that I enjoyed it on the level of quantum media, which a lot of people will know. I like that movie quite a bit more than most people did. And I, you know, and those are for different, and for different reasons why I like them. You know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching this more than love and thunder. And, you know, I, you know, I have my issues with that movie and I still have struggled to go back and rewatch it. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's so hard to, to gauge, I think, um, where this movie will land ultimately, in my opinion, for me, because it's it is kind of this outlier a little bit for me because it's it's you're taking so many different things and cramming them together, and and not in a bad way. I don't, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but it's just a little it's just a little like huh, like where is this all going to fit in with everything else? Because you're trying to progress. Um, all these three different characters forward in this fun story at, by the end, you know, by the end. Right. And it, it's a, it's a hard thing to accomplish. And especially when they, you know, when you have Miss Marvel who's had her show and it, I'm just going to say it here. I, I, I think I like the Miss Marvel show a lot more um, or a, a lot you know, when we reviewed it, but it almost makes me feel like we missed out on like a really great compressed story in a movie for her after watching this movie to be quite, to quite honest. And I almost wish we would have got that over the TV series. Not that I thought TV series was bad. I liked it a lot. I think it's one of the better TV series after, you know, Loki and WandaVision. Um, but that being said, I do feel there's something this movie did remind me of Sean is the running time and how like, and how a film and TV are such different mediums and how sometimes when the type type of stories you, you're telling, they might just be better served as either a, a movie or a TV series. I know you, and I'm not trying to say like it should, you know, Miss Marvel had to be a t- movie or whatever, but it just feels to me that the energy that these fan, the family gives us. And I love those moments in the TV series too, that, you know, the quieter moments and, and whatever, but it feels like, the, especially in this, how fast paced this movie was, how well that family and Miss Marvel they worked in that setting. Um, overall, in my opinion, it felt like it really was a perfect like balance for them. It was great, and yeah, I, I like I like this movie. Do I think it's one of the, a top tier Marvel film? No, n- not close. But that's not saying it's bad. I did say to Chris when we were leaving that I think this is probably going to probably be maybe one of the better uh, most rewatchable MCU films because it's so easy to just go into it. There's no, there really is no heavy lifting really, you know, to be honest, in my opinion. And I think that you go into it, have fun, watch it. It, it, I I do love the premise of their powers interconnecting. That's a, that's a chef's kiss, like perfect inspired choice because and they I did like a great the job trailer. executing it too. Like exactly because it's, it's yeah, a concept yeah. that could easily just go off the rails and be very hard mm-hmm. to keep track of and just wind up being completely nonsensical. I think the way I mean, you could just still argue it's superhero science gobbledygook fine, but the way they go about it in the movie, I, I actually think works. It adds a lot of energy pop to it. And then literally, I mean, 
it's a representation, or figuratively, metaphorically, got my Drax understanding of metaphors, but <laughs> I, I think that what makes it work for me is it is a representation of their powers are being entangled and so are their lives at this very time. And like in, in the same way, in order to be able to excel through this situation of having their powers entangled, they really do have to become in sync with one another um, intellectually, emotionally, and, and bonding as a group, bonding as a team, as the Marvels, since Kamala Khan actually gives them that name, which I did appreciate. I like that she, and of course she would be the one to give them sure. a team name. Why wouldn't she? She's the biggest fan in the world. So I think a lot of that stuff just, it made it very kinetic too. Like the, when I talked about in uh, my my opening ramble of why I like the action in this, I thought the body swap action was really great. Like some of those beats when they would uh, switch spots, especially as after they like mastered the art of doing it, all of that stuff led into the action and it also allowed the action to be informed by character as they were doing it as individual characters, but then collectively the character of the team was represented by that. And I do agree with you, Paul. I do think that this will ultimately end up being kind of one of the, I don't even want to say sneaky because it's pretty apparent as you watch it, this does feel like a very rewatchable movie because it is so fast and it is so much fun and there's a lot of charming moments to want to come back to and revisit. As far as where it ranks for me, I don't know. Again, I I, I don't really like rankings or care much about them in the first place, but I would also say, yeah, more likely this is going to end up more middle of the pack MCU, but that's totally fine when you consider how high my opinion generally is of the stories that are told by Marvel Studios, whether it's a series on Disney Plus or a feature film uh, such as this. I think, and, and this is more of a subject for other stuff, but we did talk about this a little bit with Quantumania, Paul, that the response to a solid, fun MCU movie is not the same in 2023 as it was in 2017, 2018, or you know, farther Absolutely. back, 2015, 2016. The response isn't quite the same. And again, there's you could we could take a deep dive into that at a later time because it is an entirely different podcast altogether and, and unto itself. There's no question about that. But I do just to sum it up very quickly. That also maybe I think impacts the perception of some of these things, which is not to say again that there aren't flaws. And also, like you, Paul, I think I enjoyed Quantumania more than most while also being very aware of its flaws. So I could like a lot of that movie while also understanding how and why it didn't work for others as well as it worked for me or nearly as well as it worked for me. And it's a similar case here. I would say I preferred this film to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. At the same time, if somebody doesn't like this movie, and that includes you, dear listener, if you didn't like this movie as much as I did or as much as Paul did, I get it because I also understand why there were things in this movie that could have got in the way of maybe you liking the film. And at the same time, the stuff that I found to be positives that ultimately outweighed the negatives, we're not always weighing the same things in the same way. So I, I do understand why there's a, you know, a, a broad range of responses to uh, to this movie. There are things that I think that are clearly there that that we can like, but sure, there are there are some flaws there that that may hurt it for hurt it more for others than it does for me. Yeah, and I don't think that you know it's it's just, I do I don't think that this movie is I don't know it's hard I don't think it's even middle of the tier yet. Maybe I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to tell at this point. Like you said, it's hard when things come out. They're, they're always victim to the times of like hype or of like, you know, this isn't that good. Yeah. Uh, Re recency know? bias is real. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, and again, like, I think I looked to like my first viewing of Loki. I didn't love it as much as other people. And I rewatched it and I loved it, you know, way more that time. And who knows when maybe I watch the Marvels again, it'll be when I'm at home chilling out, I throw it up and I'm like, man, I really like that movie. And and that's, and that's definitely happened to me where I've, I've put on movies before and go, you know, I get that a lot better now. I, I, I get this, you know, it, it, it happens. It just, it just happens sometimes. And well, you and I are children of the eighties and nineties. I mean, there's was definitely a thing where I would not love a movie in theaters. And yet somehow when it kept being rerun on basic cable or HBO, I continued to watch yes. it every time it was on. Exactly. So I, I, you know, I do think that this movie will have, uh, for whatever reason, I, I do think well, I, I'm going to get too far ahead, but I, I do think Miss Marvel will be the main reason this movie is going to be revisited and maybe like liked a lot more later on for reasons we'll save for the end of the show. Sure. For, and, and look, for, yeah. I mean, and rightfully so because of Iman Vellani and what she's done with this character, she is she is so much fun as uh, this character, a character you can kind of live vicariously through as the the fan of the Marvel superheroes who gets to become one of the Marvel superheroes and team up with her favorite Marvel superhero and then is inspired to go off and form her own team, which we'll totally get to. All of that stuff is uh, it's very relatable from an audience standpoint. And I think Iman Vellani just carries that so well and, and so many other aspects to her character that we will get into. But let's go ahead and start with some of the the, the major but also more specific elements to this movie. We do open with Darben, played by Zowie Ashton, getting a bangle or a quantum band, as we find out, uh, much like the one that Kamala Khan got in the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series. And then we're going through uh, basically catching up to what's been happening. So we do get a Kamala Khan intro for those who a reintroduction for those who saw the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series, a first time intro for those who didn't see the Disney Plus series. And there was a lot of stuff that was really fun there. I mean, I, I certainly think it does a great job. Like, if you've seen the Disney Plus series, you already kind of get Kamala Khan's vibe. But if you have not seen the Disney Plus series, here's a, an example of it where her fandom is very much apparent and how she's much busier dreaming and drawing than doing her science homework as she's talking to her mom. I was talking about uh, lamenting how hard hands are to draw, which I thought was really funny. And then it kind of catches up to the Miss Marvel post-credit scene moment, and then we're flashing back to earlier in the day. And so uh, as far as the, uh, well, where that takes us in, in earlier in the day, we have a call between Fury and Carol that kind of catches up to Carol Danvers' status quo out in space. We also see Monica is working on Saber, which we would expect to be the status quo for her because that's where things uh, queued her up from WandaVision. And when I throw out the names of here's where these things were on other shows, Now's as good a time as any to say, I don't really think this show or this movie falls victim to the homework problem. I mean, maybe some people, obviously some people felt that way and, and stayed away from the movie for that reason. But in terms of actually sitting down and watching the movie, I do think it does a pretty good job. Easier for me to say, because I've seen, I've done all the homework. I've seen all the other stories. I know what happened in them. But I also do feel like for the most part, it does a great job, or maybe even completely, it does a good job of giving you the updates, of giving the audience, if you didn't see this, here's the need to knows about this character or these characters and how they got to this point where you're finding them in this story. And the way that, uh, can we get the we get the hint at some of the issue, if you didn't see 
WandaVision and you didn't see any of the the reaction that Monica had to the mention of Captain Marvel during the final battle in Endgame, well, you get the awkward interaction where they kind of hear each other and kind of not, where Monica's not not ready to talk to you, Carol, and certainly doesn't want to do it via a, during a spacewalk, actually wants to be able to have the family reunion in in person, but there's more issues going on with these jump points that are radiating, that are ultimately going to be the, the the source of the power entanglement and, and all of that stuff. This initial setup of the initial body swap, where we don't even necessarily get the full action beats yet, but Carol trades places with, uh, you know, Carol trades places with Monica, but also Kamala Khan ends up going to where Monica was. Uh, Carol goes to the Khan family home. Carol and or Iman or Miss Marvel in space where we get that moment of where she meets Nick Fury and gets to fan out over that. I really just thought the way this movie started off did a good job of keeping the pace very, very quick, establishing these characters, who they were, some of the initial relationship dynamics between Carol and Monica. And then also you understand very quickly why it's a big deal, whether you saw Miss Marvel or not, you understand why it's a big deal for Kamala when she does return home and she finds out she just missed Captain Marvel who was there in her place and her it's happening her excited reaction one of my favorite moments from Iman Vellani and her performance just the way she couldn't breathe as her family is describing Captain Marvel having being there um, and just trying so hard to hold it together and then not and then just the excitement overwhelms her when she lets out the it's happening all of that stuff I, I thought was was a really effective intro to just get the ball rolling in this story. Yeah, this was a – the one thing I really liked about this movie overall is mostly the pacing of this. And I think that if I'm not mistaken, again, I, as we go through the, the review, I'll remember kind of where I was, you know, f- how I was feeling uh, in the theater. I, I think from at this point for a while – and I feel this movie is best when it, it does that fast pace speed. And when it slows down, it kind of – it kind of – it. it Drag not drags. That's not right. That's not that's not the right word. I like it more when it's when it's fast paced. It feels like even in in like I, I think like for instance. Well, it feels more int- like that's the movie it wants to be. Exactly. Thank you. That's a great way of putting it because the reason why I, when I agree totally it's perfect is because the very beginning is a great example of like you have three perspectives in different places all interacting and then you have like the whole like you're, you're getting people caught up to speed a little bit with miss marvel you know with the whole like comic you know drawing sequence which is great um and you're getting everything kind of reestablished, and it's just a nice because you they start really start intercutting intercutting with everybody it's a it's just a nice thing because you don't have to like feel you don't have to rem- uh what's the word you don't have to always like think too hard what's going on because you're too focused on the story. So it's almost an advantage to the movie at that point because you're so in, you know, intertwined with what's going on because this really cool power thing that keeps swapping back and forth. I'm I'm just having fun with that instead of you know I think and I think most people are too instead of like who's this person why is you know which right. I think most people. That'll like, be, they just, won't really care. Yeah, just take it at face value and let's keep rolling. Exactly, and I think that's the thing about. Uh, this is the we have the same problem in, in comic books, you know, the face value of just going to something and not have to do the homework aspect. It's such an overrated thing in my in my opinion, for the most part. Like, yes, there's certain things you, you kind of you should probably know, not for this movie necessarily, but I think in Marvel, like like Endgame, you're not going to get the full extent of that movie or Infinity War unless you've seen some right. of the other films, right? Like, yes, I'm not that naive to think that's not the case. 
I think with movies like this, it's so overrated for homework because like, again, the story is not, it's, it's these three people are superheroes, not hard to understand. I get it. And their powers are interlocking. That's it's fun. Like that it's, it's like you said, face value. That's what it is. You don't have to worry about that. It's an overrated thing in my opinion. And I feel it's a cop out when people want to be negative for when a movie is not registering with a major audience, they bring up the homework thing. The homework thing is not the issue in my opinion, because if that was the case, then uh, the Dark Knight shouldn't have made as much money as it did because yeah, there's a lot of homework to do with that. The first movie, and no one, no one cared. A movie is a movie. If it, you know, if it registers, it registers. And I feel that, you know, the Marvels is a movie that people will use certain excuses, and I think people might use it as a whole homework aspect as like a negative for Marvel. And I just, yeah, I, mean, I, I just don't. Spider-Man No Way Home trades off of more movies, including movies from a diff- different eras Amen. of a different franchise. And it didn't hurt that movie in the least. I mean, I, it's real in the sense that the perception is out there and it is yes. part of the talk track. And I don't know that Marvel has done the best job of uh, including in the marketing campaign for this movie. Didn't do a great job of combating that perception or addressing that perception. Marvel Spotlight doesn't either. More on that coming to Fanshow Plus. But I think that as far as what this movie did, I think it we have the flashbacks. Like, we got the flashbacks for Carol using the scroll memory device that will come on later, uh, come back later in the movie. And we did get, and that also gives us flashbacks to um, to Monica Rambeau. And obviously, those, mo- those moments and those flashbacks and those recaps... They hit a little bit harder. They're, they, they sink in a little bit more if you've seen the stuff. But I think there's that's always going to be a factor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for as, as long as these stories ca- stay connected, and I certainly hope that they do, is that there, it is going to be that balance of the audience has to be able, even if this is their very first Marvel movie, sticking to the Stan Lee principle of every comic is someone's first, if you have a, in every... The, uh, the Kevin Feige version of that, every Marvel movie, every chapter of the MCU is somebody's first. So in this case, I do think, and again, easier for me to say, because I do, I have seen it all and I do understand it, but I also feel like this movie, like all the other Marvel movies before it, can be understood without having done the, without having done the reading or the prior viewing. It can be understood. It can still be entertaining. Will you get an elevated entertainment experience if you've seen the other stuff? Of course, or at least you have the opportunity to have even more of an uh, even get even more out of that experience. But that's kind of the way that it should be: is that if you are investing the time, then you want to be able to get more out of each new chapter of a given story. But if you're not doing that, you're still not just left hanging out to dry. And I don't think that that mo- that this movie really does that to the audience. Every movie you watch, every story you watch is having to fill you in about characters that you didn't know before you walked in and started watching that movie. Like, that's what every story has to do, uh, unless it's a direct sequel and everybody's caught up. But it's a very common experience for the audience to go watch characters they don't know and have to learn about the characters they don't know um, over through the course of the story that they're watching. And I do think that this story gives you that, especially for uh, its three leads. And because obviously maybe with Captain Marvel, there's more of an audience understanding uh, a little bit of who she is. She was already in a billion dollar movie. Of course, she was already in Avengers Endgame. But for those who haven't been watching the Disney Plus shows, you get the information on Monica, you get the information on Kamala Khan. 
And it's not really that hard to figure out like who Kamala Khan is and what Kamala Khan is about because Iman Vellani is so great at communicating all of that through her performance with not only what she says, but just how she acts like verbally and non-verbally, you understand where this character is coming from. And you get that, I think, in this opening round of introductions to our three leads. And then when we start getting into moving the plot forward from this or setting up the next round of entanglement of entanglements that are going to be much, much bigger, at least in terms of action. When it transitioned into the the next part of that, as they're trying to figure out what's going on with this, would, where everybody went, where did Monica go? Where did Where's Kamala Khan from? What's Carol doing? As they're catching up for this next round of the, the body swapping, that's when we get our first big action beat we have. And it's happening in these three locations, the Sabre Elevator, as well as we're seeing stuff on you know the the planet where Darben found the bangle. We're also seeing stuff on the the Kree ship uh, being part of be, ends up being a, the bigger part of this. And as we're going through these action beats and everybody's trading different spots in this, and of course we get the moment we saw from the trailer, the oh my god reaction from Kamala Khan as she sees Goose just consume a couple of Kree soldiers before Goose spits out those Kree soldiers at the Khan home, which sets up the action beat there. All of this stuff just kept moving. It was fast. It was fun. And my, maybe my favorite moment in that uh, initial action beat as during this body swapping segment, in terms of just showing the power levels of these characters, I thought it did a great job of establishing that for all of these characters. And one of my favorite uh, pieces of that, probably my, one of my favorite visuals in the entire movie, was at the con home where it looks like um, where, uh, of course, Monica is trying to save the day and protect the con family when she throws one of those Kree soldiers and then like phases through him to the other side, lands the punch to knock him into the other one uh, to save uh, to save Muniba. All of that was just was so cool. That was such a cool visual. They did a great job of demonstrating some of the power, the different powers that Monica has. And we see these characters having these related light based powers, but they're all doing very different things and using them very differently. And I think it also speaks to how the characters think and in terms of what they decide to do, the moves that they have, not just their actual physical abilities, but the way they go about uh, using those uh, abilities in these various fights. And of course, when you get the also get a little bit of Nick Fury action as well, as he's kind of assessing the theory from uh, from Monica about what exactly is happening with their entanglement powers. So this first big, this was the first big action sequence of the movie, Paul, and I really liked this a lot. I, I had a lot of fun with this sequence, and that's definitely one uh, that will be a, a pleasure to rewatch as we you know, go through various rewatches of this movie in the future. Yeah, I, I think this is probably my favorite part of the movie, to be quite honest. Um, I, I love this. I thought this was great. I thought the, the direction, uh, the action was really well done. And just, again, the pacing was really impressive of how much they were balancing all at once with so many different characters. And, and again, you're also trying to get exposition and remind people what their power levels are too, right? Like, what, what are they capable of and, and everything? And just kind of establishing the character of like, you know, again, more Miss Marvel, what, what her deal is and everything. And they did a phenomenal job. I, I was really, really digging the movie at this point. Uh, I, I love, love, love this whole action sequence of them interchanging uh, all the way through. And it was, and again, it made me start thinking like, man, like people are missing out. Like this is a really quality action scene. Yeah. It really is. Like I, I was really impressed and I thought it was really fun to watch. And it, I, I, 
I can't wait to watch the movie again just for that scene alone, to be quite honest. It's definitely my favorite part, I think, off, um, just, uh, off the top of my head. I think it's my favorite part of the movie. I thought it was great. And it does do a good job of setup, I think, for, you know, I think character-wise and, and just and kind of, you know, fun to kind of establish what these power levels are, which is cool. So, yeah, this was a great scene, and I, I was really impressed with how they pulled that off. Yeah, I was too. And, and while I wouldn't say it's my favorite scene in the movie, as I said, definitely one of my favorite visual moments in the movie with that moment with Monica that I, I thought was really, really great. And, and yeah, and I just thought it was a, a great way to kind of show these characters working together whilst in conflict, like a you know a great representation of, of superhero team ups in, in that sense, which again, of course, it would be in conflict here. They have no idea uh, what the what, what's even happening right now, much less how do they control it and actually make it work for them. That's for later on in the movie. But after that sequence, when Fury and Monica come back down from Saber to meet the Khan family and try their best to explain everything that's going on, we get the awkward moment because eventually Kamala Khan wants to show off how she uses her powers and then we, of course, she switches places with Carol, which does give us that awkward family reunion between Carol and Monica, where Monica corrects her that it's not Lieutenant Trouble anymore. It is Captain Rambo. I like Yusuf talking about how they don't look like they're related and Muniba saying, like, whatever, Yusuf, families are complicated. That was an awesome moment. I thought that was a lot of fun. Also, but earlier in the scene, when they're, when Kamala also clocks that uh, Monica calls briefly calls her uh, Aunt Carol, before correcting herself and saying Captain Marvel. That was a cool little moment. But also, when we talk about the magic of Iman Vellani and what she brings to it, you know, what's your code name? I don't have a code name. We'll workshop it. Just amazing. And the little nod she gives on that was just a, a great little piece there from uh, Iman Vellani and her performance, a, a great little addition to just show she's she's all about it. But also, she's really, she's really into this, but she also really wants to be helpful. So... Monica clearly is a superhero, can't be a superhero and not have a code name. So they have to workshop it. Uh, I just thought that part was really, really funny. And and again, the the awkward reunion between Monica and Carol did a good job of, of setting the tone for, of course, the conversations that would happen between the two of them later on in the film. And, you know, these are a couple of moments to highlight, again, the, the Khan family, just how charming and fun and funny they are. Anytime that they're on screen, as they were in Miss Marvel on Disney Plus, as they are again here on the big screen for the Marvels, they are all really, really good and add so much to. Uh, they they really do add so much of the heart and humor to again every scene they're in, regardless of the medium, regardless of whether it's in a movie theater or at home on Disney Plus. They are all just so good individually and collectively as a group uh, with the with the Khan family. And then I also want to shout out uh, Tiana Paris, because this is where we're really getting into. I mean, and this will continue a lot throughout the film, but I might as well pay tribute to her here. Paul, you and I talked about this a, a little bit off air uh, when we were um, doing our, our Loki season two finale recording, as we were just talking about some of our initial thoughts on this movie. I have to give Tiana Paris a lot of credit, and she deserves a lot of credit for being saddled with so much exposition of all this impossible stuff that's happening. She's tasked with being the character who kind of instantly understands everything because of her. Well, not just instantly because she just pulls it out of thin air. It feels like that sometimes, but obviously she is the expert. This is what she's been working towards this whole time in her career at sword and, and now up there at saber. 
And but she just knows and understands all of these things and she has to explain it. And so Tiana Paris has so much dialogue where she's just explaining to the characters and therefore to the audience how all this crazy impossible stuff is happening and trying to make sense of it. Not only does she do it in a way that that makes sense within the framework of the movie, within the internal logic of the movie, but more impressive than that, she still manages to be very entertaining. And that just speaks to, I think, the level of charisma that she has as an actor, as a performer, and what she brings to this character is she has a lot of dialogue that runs the high risk of just being totally dry and just making you fall asleep and start to tune out the movie. And I didn't at all with Tiana Paris and her performance as Monica Rambeau. She was saddled with a lot of it, but every time that uh, every time the ball came her way, she hit it back. <laughs> she hit it back with force, which is not to say all she was doing was exposition. She was doing a lot of things in this movie, but she had the most exposition responsibilities out of anybody, and she carried them well. Yeah, there was... She did definitely did a lot of heavy lifting in this movie, and I think she pushing the narrative forward and everything. And I think that that's definitely, I, I didn't even realize that until it really, like we started talking about it. I'm like, Oh yeah, she did, you know, yeah, because she does it so fluently and it's, it also, and honestly, it kind of goes with her character from WandaVision because she's kind of like the, the through line for everything. Cause she kind of understands what, uh, Wanda's going through and, you know, so it's like she's just really good at explaining and, and knows how to get through to that. Um, if I remember correctly from back in, in that show, like she kind of this, she kind of was the same thing. She came back and had explained things and, mm-hmm. you know, and what have you. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of she kind of has, 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 has a knack, it seems like, to kind of give the general audience and kind of give people like kind of the, the, the basic rundown. She writes the, and if this were a comic book, she's the one writing the editor's notes. Like, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Great, great, great analogy. Great analogy. Um, one of the things I, I did think that I would have preferred is this only my, per, I'm not saying they should have done this, but what I would have done differently is I may have would have put some of these, uh, some of these flashback sequences or maybe create something in the very beginning of the movie to kind of hearken and, and kind of set their, your flag down of, of between, uh, Captain Marvel and maybe uh, Mo- Monica's mom or something along those lines. They kind of establish more of like this relationship because it, it, I, I know it. And this is where I would say that doing the homework, it makes sense. But even who knows the homework, it doesn't always register for me. And I, I appreciate having the, like the, the little, little psych things, you know, whatever they're doing eventually later on. I would have preferred maybe having something in the beginning to kind of hearken and, and have our North star from the emotional standpoint of what this movie is kind of about, which is, you know, obviously moving on dealing with your, you know, your emotions and, and trying to get over your, you know, and forgiveness and things like that. Like I would have liked to have maybe more of that as in the North star with a flashback. I'm not, and again, I'm not saying I have the, all the answers, but I just would like to have something to kind of for us and the audience to kind of go by because it was nice to have the flashbacks eventually, but at that point it there's just it just doesn't always register for me this just me personally and I would say like some of that stuff between Monica and Captain Marvel doesn't always land again for me so it's not that it's bad it's just I I register way more with it when I saw the the flashbacks so yeah. I would prefer something at the very beginning of the movie to kind of have like have our uh, kind of get to kick things off with a little bit. 
I mean, I didn't mind it with the way they structured it because I actually thought I, I think that actually works better in terms of acting as if the audience doesn't know, because that's just a very common thing in storytelling that you introduce tension between characters and, and make it palpable, make sure the audience actually is aware of that tension. And it's OK to make them aware of that uh, that tension without necessarily explaining why right away. And then you get into it, which the movie actually does. So I'm OK with them going in that order, because I also think that honestly helped the movie. Like, yes, there could be a little bit of help there for the audience, but I also think then you run the risk of the fast start to this movie, which I actually do think is one of this movie's best weapons, is that fast start and just getting you right into the terms of uh, of this story with Monica Rambo really doing the best job of giving you the play-by-play of, of what's actually happening and why. But as Carol goes to get from the con home to go find Kamala and where she was and, and where everything left off, we have another uh, body swap, and now Kamala is left stranded in midair, falling to her death. So uh, we have uh, Monica having to learn to fly for the very first time to figure it out. But when she flies, she phases, and Kamala is going to go right through her. So eventually, they come up with a solution that takes them to where Carol was, and Carol is back there on Earth at the uh, at the con home. And meanwhile, as all this stuff, which in that sequence, I also thought was a lot of fun. Another quick action beat that's very different it's not a fight it's more about saving i kind of found it to be not not quite on the the same level but almost in the spirit of in its own you know updated version 10 years later of the the barrel of monkeys sequence from iron man 3 it's just fun when you have those different types of action beats in these movies so that one uh, that's really more about saving someone than necessarily fighting someone so i i like that piece there Meanwhile, what's been happening is we're uh, following along with Darben. She has arrived on Tarnax, and she is talking with Emperor Droge. There is a Skrull refugee colony here, and this it's put forth as some sort of treaty between these groups, but really it's a threat because uh, Darben is going to use the bangle, the one bangle that she does have, to strip Tarnax of its atmosphere, and we'll find out later on that that atmosphere is going over to the Cree homeworld of Hala. And so as far as the where we're at with Darben here, and, and this will probably come up again, and I'll expand on it more later when we actually get to Darben's backstory. But obviously, the the from a villain antagonist uh, standpoint, and none of this is um, you know directed at Zowie Ashton, who I think does a great job with her performance as Darben. I just think in terms of the overall writing of the movie or editing of the movie, how it's all finally assembled, however that came to be, there's not necessarily a, a whole lot here for Darben. And there's not, and maybe you could argue there didn't need to be, but I, I still feel like this movie probably could have used a little bit more development for its antagonist. It's really more of, here's the next, here's Darben's next target and we're moving on. And I think that as a character, she just doesn't end up getting as much development as she probably needs or deserves in order to be an even more compelling character within uh, within the overall plot of this film. And I also think in terms of homework, like people say, well, this is a this is secret invasion and stuff like that. Yes, Secret Invasion mentions Emperor Droge, and Secret Invasion mention, uh, mentions a treaty between the Kree and the Skrulls, or they're working on that. But you didn't need to know that by in order to understand this movie. Really, all that was was Secret Invasion, if you were watching that show, 
letting you know what the status quo is going into the Marvels. It's really more communication from Secret Invasion to the Marvels as opposed to really the other way around to where you needed to see Secret Invasion. It really reminded me a lot more of when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., especially in its uh, later years, would just kind of call out things that had happened in the movies or maybe we're going to when a movie was coming up like Thanos is attacking Earth when they're, you're setting up Infinity War, when that's about to happen. It's just really more on that level. It, there's not any need to know information from Secret Invasion that you missed. It's really not much of a connection uh, at all, and, and nor should it have been, frankly. I think the way that it's presented um, is, uh, is just fine. But the bigger thing here, though, when we get to this Tarnak scene and, and Carol catches up with Monica and Kamala there, and we get our next big action sequence... This was another sequence that I thought was was really compelling. I thought visually it was very interesting. And what I also liked about it from a character standpoint is we saw Carol kind of taking on the role of just wanting to protect Kamala Khan, just get on the ship, just get out of here. Basically not because this is a kid, is a, a, a high school kid. So Carol's not exactly signing. She's not pulling a Tony Stark and signing this kid up to be in the fight. Um, she just so happens to be there. But we see from Kamala Khan in this moment that she just can't help but intervene. When she sees that a bunch of rubble is going to fall onto a bunch of scrolls, what does she do? She go and she saves them. But then that informs Carol of what's going on because they end up swapping places. And then Carol has to take over that save. But I like that. I like showing that Kamala Khan as a hero cannot help herself, even when... She's disobeying the orders of her hero, of the character, the person that she has idolized. She's hanging out with, meeting uh, Captain Marvel for the first time. Even when, uh, of course, uh, when Carol when Carol first shows up in the scene, I know I'm jumping back a little bit, and when you get the big gasp from Kamala and Carol says, hold that thought, that was also a really amazing and, and hilarious moment. But I like what that says about Kamala Khan so much that even when the character she has dreamt of meeting and being twinsies and all of that, and she's going to get that dream meeting a little bit later on, but here it is in this moment, and she, even with the instructions of this person whom she's idolized, like she can't help herself. She, if she sees people who need help, she's going to step in and she's going to do it. And then we get to the moment from Carol as, as everything is uh, as escalating here and the planet is becoming unstable we get the moment where Kamala wants to save everyone and Carol talks about, says that they have to save who they can. And so they do take off on the ship. They do get away, having saved a lot of scrolls, but not all of them. This is one of the moments where I, when I mentioned some flaws in the movie, this was one of them for me. I don't mind the, we have to save who we can. I understand it's been part of the thing that characters have had to learn. Even Steve Rogers has to tell um, has to tell Wanda back in Captain America Civil War after the Lagos incident, you know, we try to save we try to save as many as we can. Sometimes that doesn't mean everyone. I understand that, and I don't have the expectation that our heroes are always going to be save everyone. My issue with this scene, Paul, from a visual standpoint, is I felt like there were so many scrolls that they showed us who were so close to the ship who they left behind. And I'm like, Captain Marvel is incredibly powerful and incredibly, pa uh, incredibly fast. She could have got them. It's, uh, it's another version, although maybe with not the same, you know, emotional heft, but it reminds me of man of steel and, and Jonathan Kent and, and that whole thing of like, well, within the logic of the scene, it felt like he feels like he could have saved him. Whether you buy the logic of letting dad mm -hmm. die or, or not, just the visual execution of it 
could have made it a little clear that no, that wasn't an option. It looked like there were some options to save uh, plenty more scrolls there, and they just didn't. So I'm fine with the line of dialogue. I'm fine with the internal logic of the scene, but the way they represented it visually kind of made it look like you know Carol couldn't spare a half an extra second to save about 15 more scrolls. Yeah, this is where I would say it gets a little wonky for me. Is right about here, and it's not my. I would I would agree. It's just, it gets the flaws kind of come out a little bit more because I think that what you're make a great point. I just I would almost want that that moment to be a little more dramatic for Miss Marvel to learn that it, it just it felt very rushed. Again, that's yeah. part of the happens the so fast. That's where yeah, that's where this it just. It needs an extra beat there to really allow that Agreed. to register. Mm-hmm. It, at least hang out on the on the planet a little bit more before it starts going to crazy, and so she can get kind of like you know or whatever. I'm not sure the hell I'm talking about, but it just it just didn't feel as fleshed out as well as the beginning of the part of the movie. This is where it feels like we're rushing to get to a little bit. Like, oh yeah, gotta get the scroll people. We gotta get Darbin over here. We gotta do this. We gotta do that. We gotta, you know, we gotta get Miss Marvel being like, I can't save everybody. It, this is where some of the flaws, I think of a story really started to come out a little, a little bit more. And again, this is some of the price you pay for a compressed storytelling a little bit. I mean, I could have done, be done better. I, I think so. But this is the problem when when you do that, you have to make sacrifices, and this is where the the, the creative team and and obviously the head honchos at Marvel thought this this would be fine. And it just it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just not the most it's not the most engaging. And the problem I would say is when you have Darbin on the same planet, like basically like you know messing stuff up, and you're trying to elevate the the point of risk. It just doesn't get across as well when you have all of that of what you're saying and the fact that like you know you have Miss you want Miss Marvel to learn something, it's just not really there for her to learn an, an, an adequate basis without you know I don't know it's it, it's just, it's not it doesn't work as well and this is where I think they tend to, they try to rush things a little bit too much in my opinion. No, I agree. I think that. There was time here, and I don't actually think it affects the pacing of the movie. I really don't. I don't think that if they wanted to... Now, there are some other realistic factors here, right? So when we talk about certain things that... You know, we're very used to Marvel working on movies up until the last minute and and all of that. And look, this movie did the things that Marvel movies normally do. It went through its principal, uh, principal photography... It had their reshoots and additional photography that are just standard and part of the process of making all of these uh, all of these movies. And I, I don't know that anything would have changed. But if there was anything that Marvel looked at in the last few months of this movie of the you know before release, and they wanted to change something, obviously there were limits to what they could change because there were two different strikes. You had the WGA strike, so there was nobody to come in and write additional material for a scene or write a new scene. Obviously, the actors were not going to be available to come in and film anything different for this movie. So if they wanted to have the option of making any last-minute changes, they weren't going to have that. Even Nia DaCosta, who I know was already working on her next movie, which, by the way, as I said on Fanshow Plus at the time, wasn't indicative of anything positive or negative. That's just the way things work. It's very common for directors to move on to other projects before another one is out, especially one that's had a bunch of release date changes like the Marvels has had. 
And I'm sure Nia DaCosta would have worked it out in her schedule if actors and writers were available to go shoot additional material for this movie. I'm sure everyone involved would have made it happen in the interest of making the movie better. But we know that there were certain things that maybe they just couldn't do. And again, that's not to say they would have made any changes. They just if they wanted to, it was the opportunity just wasn't going to be there. And so just going off of the end result, this was a scene where I think it was it was also just very fast, right? It's it's an interesting lesson for Kamala Khan. And she actually makes the decision, the same decision that Carol makes now. Kamala actually is the one who makes it when Carol wants to stay behind and keep saving people on Aladna, and uh, Kamala is the one who gets them out of there. So we do see it being revisited, but it's happening so fast in both sequences that it's not having the emotional impact that it should. And so, and it's not to say the movie doesn't have an emotional impact and it doesn't have an emotional core. It does. These are just moments that could elevate that, and it just wasn't really given the time to do so. But also, as I said, visually, I just didn't think it was well executed because it made it just as a viewer, my my response was it just it just looked like they could have saved more. Yes, you have to save who you can. Looks like you can save a few more. They didn't. Uh, and then we're we're off. So there's a couple things that are happening here that we cut back and forth. I'll I want to go ahead and take this moment to since we talked about Darben and how she's kind of moving in and out of places. And, and it's just really she's just being moved around so our heroes can catch up. I know. The big sequence, which is my favorite piece, is kind of wrapped around Darben's backstory, which is the Marvels actually coming together on Carol's ship. I'll, I'll save that for a moment, and uh, I'll go ahead and take this time to talk about Darben as an antagonist, because we do get a moment here where we are shown her backstory, that and where she was on the Kree homeworld of Hala when Captain Marvel, or as they've been calling her, the name she doesn't like, the Annihilator, she came to Hala and destroyed the Supreme Intelligence, and then there were others who tried to take over in that power vacuum that ended up being a civil war that ultimately depleted Hala of its natural resources, where the people couldn't breathe. That's why she took the atmosphere from uh, Tarnax. That's why she's going to go try to take water from Aladna and a sun from our solar system. It was just a lot of we we need to give this character a motivation, so we're going to do this as quickly as we possibly can, and we're just going to hit the beats that we need to hit to give our antagonist a revenge angle that is also somewhat, you know, slightly sympathetic. So we want to go ahead and, and give the allow the audience to understand the perspective of our, our antagonist. And yes, mechanically, it does do that. It checks those boxes, but in terms of whether or not I was really feeling that as an audience member. I wasn't because it was all just so fast. And also, just another side note here, uh, Paul, you, you already know I was lamenting about this the other day. But we know what was teased right at the end of the first film. Captain Marvel was going after the Supreme Intelligence. And rather than that being a full story, rather than that being another movie, which it's fine, they go in a different direction... But we get the Kree Supreme Intelligence in this flashback, and the Supreme Intelligence, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. In the eye of this beholder, there is no beauty. Uh, I beheld no beauty in the Kree Supreme Intelligence, and not in the way that I normally don't behold beauty in the Supreme Intelligence in the comic books. The, vis the visual effects on this just looked not even quite half-baked, and that's, again, not a knock on the VFX artists. I'm sure they weren't given time as is usually the case when something ends up not looking 
the way that it needs to. But the Supreme Intelligence was this very, very static CG image that just had really no depth, no detail, no really anything. Um, I just thought that was not a good visual at all. Um, I mean, I, I liked the scene from Darben's perspective where Captain Marvel does look more annihilator than heroic. I mean, we understand Carol's side of it. The Supreme Intelligence was the one that was forcing a Kree scroll war that was having the the Kree out there hunting the scrolls. So we understand why Carol felt that the Supreme Intelligence needed to be stopped. But we also see from Darben's perspective why that maybe didn't look the way that it did to Carol. And it certainly didn't look heroic from Darben's perspective or anybody on Hala, especially when you consider what happened after that. So I, I appreciate the attempt in putting a scene like this in here. As a Marvel Comics fan, I'm super bummed at how they showcased or didn't really showcase the Supreme Intelligence. But even setting that aside and just looking at this movie on its own terms, not just what I didn't get as a comic book fan, but just looking at it on its own terms, Paul, this just mm -hmm. felt very, very superficial paint-by-numbers antagonist backstory as opposed to really trying to get me to feel something for this character or understand something about this character. This was something, another probably criticism I have, because they, they totally leave it open in the first movie that he's that they're, the Supreme Intelligence, Intelligence is out there. But what it means, and like all of a sudden they just basically very quickly just kind of, oh yeah, it was there, and then she killed it. I was like, wait, what? I remember I turned to Chris going, wait, wait huh? Did I miss something? Did I? Yeah. And it would have reminded me of, you know that like weird top thing from Tron? Mm, it yeah. looks like that. Like, I, I don't, I only saw that one glimpse, but it looked just like that. And I was like, wait, wait, huh? Like it, it's, this is the Supreme intelligence is, I know. And, and like Chris made a good point is that, well, it's supposed they kind of make it a point that's an AI, but I'm like, but no, like it's it still didn't even really look like that. It looked almost like a static image. Like it just didn't mm -hmm. look great. Like it wasn't, I don't even know. I'm sure it was animated. I, I'm sure it was to some extent, but I'm like, it just didn't look there. And, and, and okay, fine. It's an AI, so it doesn't have to have a, phys a real physical floating head. It still could. I mean, Ultron's got a robot body. Ultron's AI, so there's ways to do that. So mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know that that couldn't be done based on the way they represented it. Maybe ultimately felt like it wasn't worth it since the Supreme Intelligence was going to be dead just as soon as you saw it. But I still mm -hmm. feel like the way that shot looked to me, the the VFX for the Supreme Intelligence, again, this is not a criticism of the artists or because I don't know ultimately who's to blame because usually it's just not being given enough time. Maybe there was a version of it that was better or more complete and then there was a change at the last second and had to redo it. Whatever. Just looking at the end result of what happened there. It really felt like something that was, you know, it looked like part of a deleted scene. It looked like when you look, when you watch the special features on a Marvel movie at home and you get to the deleted scenes that have a CG character or large other large CG element and you look at it and you know it's not finished and why would it be what didn't actually make the final cut on the movie so they're not going to spend the time and money to finish that shot so that's kind of what it looked like very early very crude very rough VFX for the supreme intelligence not a final shot that's in a uh, you know 200 million dollar feature film well, and here's the thing I, I don't understand is the Supreme Intelligence, 
is such a simplistic design and so grotesque that like it's not that hard. It's a big head. Just to I know it's a big head with like floaty like little things on top of it and like in in water. Like that's literally what it is. And you couldn't do that. It's just it, it honestly this is why I told you, you know, we did this off air on last weekend. I'm going to say it right here. Like, I don't know if that's the Supreme Intelligence. I wonder if that's just like, like a, like a satellite, something like that, because it, it just, it, that felt very, you could easily write that into it pretty easily in my opinion, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope that's the case. Cause that was, uh, that was no bueno, man. It, it was not very good, but I, I also don't expect it to really be revisited, especially given, you know, the financial performance of, of this movie at this point. I, I don't know that we're going to get any sort of uh, redemption for the Kree Supreme Intelligence. And I also don't know how many people actually care about that outside of you and I whining about it here on this podcast. So uh, I, I don't know, but um, I was bummed at the way that turned out. But again, that is really separate from the movie. I, I don't want to, pu- I mean... The visual execution of, of the shot was, you know, a criticism of the film. But as far as the overall choice, it for me in the, in the storytelling where it's more of a criticism for me is just that I didn't feel like this scene, I get what it was intended to do. I just don't know that it really had that intended uh, effect with its ultimate uh, execution. But focusing on my favorite overall sequence or series of sequences in this movie, it is the Marvels coming together on the ship, the official meeting between Carol Danvers and Kamala Khan, the, the the handshake, the twinsies moment, Kamala Khan talking about how she'll be there for Carol no matter what. Even if Carol just wants company, Kamala Khan will drop out of high school. Carol tells her not to do that. All of that stuff of Kamala Khan fanning out over Carol Danvers and Monica just kind of laughing that off and thinking that Kamala's adorable um, was great. I I really thought that was awesome. And then when we get into some of that tension between Carol and Monica, and this was a flashback they did show us. They did show us Carol telling telling young Monica Rambeau that she'd be be back before Monica knew it, and that's not what happened. And Monica says that back to uh, Carol. And Carol's trying to explain why she didn't come back, but she can't quite really get to it. But at least we're starting to... We understand that tension from Monica's side. We also understand from Carol's side, as she's talking about how a lot of people needed her help, a lot of people needed her. Well, of course, the Rambos needed her as well. So that stuff, getting into the the heart of the matter between these two characters and getting a chance to hear some of their perspective, obviously there's more to hear, I thought was really great. But then when they're trying to access more of, of what's going on and also figure out what Darben's plan is. They need to get into Kamala Khan's memory because of a map she saw. They all put on those little memory devices that we saw Carol with earlier on in the movie. And we see some different memories that gives us a little bit more, again, of the backstory of these characters, especially what Monica went through for those who didn't see WandaVision. So a little bit of catch up there. But there was a great sequence where Monica's not happy about it, but Carol's not exactly in, in control of her memories going through this, where we, we get the memory of a scene between Maria Rambo, Monica's mother, and Carol, when Maria told Carol that the cancer was back, and this is post-snap in Avengers Infinity War. And what I love so much about this scene is what it said about Maria Rambo. Well, one thing sets up later in the alternate reality, right? Carol talking about maybe the guilt she feels about her being Captain Marvel, Maria Rambo saying that she never wanted to be Captain Marvel. 
she was, um, and then unceremoniously dispatched in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in some reality. In another reality, we'll find out she is binary. More on that uh, as we go on here. But really, the heart of that scene for me, Paul, is Maria Rambo saying that Carol could be there and, and watch Goose just until Monica gets back. So this is happening in the middle of the the five-year blip in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And even Carol trying to say, like, but she blipped before we see them uh, cut away from that memory and everybody kind of snaps out of it. Just the fact that Maria, as a mom, just believed and, and knew that her daughter wasn't truly gone, that her daughter was destined to come back, I think says uh, so much about the, the type of optimism that Maria has, the bond that she had with her daughter, just knowing and feeling that her daughter wasn't really gone. I really liked that moment for, and I also really like Lashana Lynch as this character who was so great in the first movie. And now Marvel does a great job of keep finding ways to expand mm-hmm. her character by giving her different characters to play in different realities. And she always, uh, it's always worth it because of the performance that, that she hands in. And then, so that part I liked. And then to, you know, kind of close the loop on that moment where Kamala approaches Monica after this and gives her the hug. Like, I'm sorry you lost your mom. She seemed really cool. And Kamala gives her that hug and then invites Carol in uh, for the hug. I love the the empathy of Kamala Khan. I love the emotional intelligence of Kamala Khan. And she absolutely is the bridge that kind of connects Carol with Monica because she's not necessarily holding on to any grudges or any of these things. Like, she really is there in that moment. Um, and also, like, just other things that kind of cued that up. Carol apologizing to Kamala for the way that she spoke to her. Kamala being grateful for that apology and accepting that apology. There's just kind of this way that Kamala Khan goes about her connections and her empathy for other people. Also, her forgiveness and understanding of other people that I think is we're starting to really see have a, a very real impact on Carol and Monica. So... As much as Kamala is inspired mostly by Captain Marvel being her hero, we're actually seeing her be the one to really start to inspire the, these other two heroes that she's with. Uh, not just because they take on the name that, that she gave the team, but really just the kind of teammate and friend that she's showing them she can be. Yeah, some of this stuff didn't really work for me. Um, I think part of it, I've, we talked about the off air a little bit. Um, some of the stuff with, with, uh, Brie Larson, it just she didn't register with me, and I'm one of the people defending her performances in the first movie, and and this one, she just it felt, and, and again, part of it's her emotional, uh, you know, depths kind of been tested in this movie because of you know bringing Monica in and everything, you know, being called the Annihilator, and and there's 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 some truth there. That being said, there is some inconsistencies with me and, and her performance that kind of just, I, I can't really get into as much again on my first viewing. I'm, I'm totally ready to be, you know, wrong if I watch it again or when I watch it again. But at this point, you know, it doesn't always hit with me. And this is why I was talking earlier. It might've been nice to have like that North star kind of like memory, uh, you know, thing at the very beginning of where we had this moment maybe before or something like that, where there it's Monica as mom and, and uh, Carol talking, um, it, yeah, it's just this is where I think her performance kind of gets weird for me in, in, in places. I just I don't know. It doesn't work for me all the time throughout the show or the movie. Excuse me. Um, this is one place I remember being like it felt like it dragged a little bit, and this is where I think the pacing slows down, understandably, of course. 
but it definitely it took a hit for me here a little bit when it when it slows down and it just doesn't it, it feels like we're trying to get through the, the the problems as much as possible uh a little bit faster again kind of like we said before again i've only seen the movie once so i, I, I don't know i think see. this is the scene this is the scene where i actually felt like they did it right i'll, I'll just hit you with your favorite ron burgundy agree to disagree dot gif on this one fair. i think that I, I really enjoyed brie larson's performance throughout all of this movie but this sequence actually was and again what happens after this when they get into when we get through some of the emotional heft and then we get into like the the body swapping practice for the or the you know light power entanglement practice that they do after this where it kind of gets back into more of the the lighthearted fun of it all this was my favorite section of the movie because i thought that the way these characters kind of came together in this moment got to kind of express whether it was through their memories and their subconscious or then what the things they were actually saying to each other or literally embracing each other. I think this really worked. And I, I thought this was a scene that actually got the time to allow some of those emotions to really register and give this movie really give it back some of its heart. And that was the stuff that I that was the stuff that I, I really enjoyed. And then, like I said, it gets really fun when you're talking about the when you when they move on through this and now it's time to practice like we know we switch places when we use our powers let's figure out how we can make that work for us so whether it's jump rope or whatever or walking with books on their heads whatever it is but i also really like it because it's just showing them bonding during this like we see them getting along we see them laughing together and that's where it all kind of comes together there to really be what I think is kind of the the key success of this movie and why I ultimately have a positive opinion of this movie instead of, you know, an overall negative opinion of the movie is I, I think it is successful in most of the areas that tend to, I think, mean the most for me as an audience member. And I also think it just kind of worked for Marvel Studios over time, which is having giving the audience charismatic leads, charismatic heroes, or even not always charismatic heroes, in this case, all three charismatic, that you just kind of like, that you just enjoy hanging out with, spending time with, that you want to see win, you want to see them succeed, you want to see them work through their stuff emotionally, you want to see them you know, be empathetic toward one another, you want to see them bond with each other, because it's not just the individual, it also is the team, where you care about these three characters individually, you care about Carol and Monica and Kamala, but then you also do care about the Marvels as a team, and you want to see them be able to come together and work and be stronger as a team than they are individually, and you actually care whether or not that happens. You want to see them work through their issues, uh, whether that's emotional or the issues that are caused by an antagonist or whatever it is. You want to see all of them work through that, and you want to see them succeed, and you care whether or not they do. At least that was my response to the Marvels, and this section of the film in particular, I thought was the the best example of that, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. But then also, again, to give credit to the Khan family, like when, when they have the check-in call, of like they have to go off on the mission with Kamala Khan, especially when they figure out the next target is gonna be um, Aladna for, for water, the fact that uh, we get the the threat of uh, from Muniba telling how if anything happens to Kamala, she's going to kill Monica and or Carol. What did she say? Nothing. Kamala just shakes her head. All of that stuff. The family being the family, 
and caring so much about their daughter or their sister off in space on this crazy adventure, I think provides a little bit of emotional grounding to a movie that, that is otherwise obviously very wacky and very zany, but also emotionally grounded, I think, in scenes like this where these characters get a chance to bond with one another. And as I said, a lot of fun to be had. So yes, there's you know some of the emotional revelations there, but they also bring it right back to a lot of the lighthearted fun with these characters. And you're just having fun with these three, uh, which is very disarming, I think, to the audience and just allows you to, as they're connecting with each other, it allows you as the audience member, or at least, or me as an audience member, to connect with them as well. Yeah, the the family members, the Khan family, is de- you've talked about it before, it's the MVP of this, of this movie. It, it definitely keeps things in perspective yeah. and also fun, lighthearted. Also, yeah, and, the, the uh, I also want to call it the Yusef moment. I'm in hell when he's in the space elevator going up to Saber oh, was God, awesome. That, and, that, and Fury that would, being like, that, that make me the devil then? Yeah, that that definitely is is me. <laughs> so I made that, very, made that very clear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, I, I think it grounding it with that family. And that's one thing that Marvel's always done a good job of, of having it be not to just for people to connect with characters that aren't just the superheroes. And I think having those characters, I mean, they've always had them in these movies. You have like even pepper, you know, pepper pots. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you have, um, oh my gosh. Uh, I can't remember. I'm so bad with names. Uh, meow, meow, whatever her name is. Darcy. Darcy, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. She came, as, soon as, as soon as I said meow meow, it came right in. Uh, you know, Darcy. Uh, they've done a really good job of keep giving us characters that are like, you know, we're able to kind of go with and stay with and and, and relate to and and kind of be that anchor. And this is a they do a phenomenal job of heavy lifting of keeping us engaged with a side story, and um and where because it, it eventually has to connect, and they keep it they make it all understandable and just and fun and also reminding us of what exactly like you know that she's a kid you know she's not yeah. adult so it's a big deal what she's doing yeah and i think it's even different than like peter parker and, and stuff like that i mean I'm, I'm not talking about better or worse just saying where they've allowed it to be different and allowed it to be kind of unique is like we don't get uh, aunt may checking in on a lot of Spider-Man's first adventures in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because she doesn't know, right? She doesn't learn until the end of Homecoming what's going on with uh, Peter Parker and the fact that he's Spider-Man. The way they've uh, allowed Kamala Khan to have her own family dynamic here that is unique to her within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the way her family is a, a big part of that, you know, it allows that it it really does kind of ground the stakes for her as well that Yes, there's a whole lot of fate of the universe stuff going on in, in this stuff, but understandably, you know, an audience can be somewhat numb to that because the universe or the world or or some large amount of life is tends to be at stake in, on such a regular basis in these stories. So when you have the the smaller stakes of here's a family that just wants to make sure that their daughter comes back, um, it's very easy to tap into that. You know, and, and empathize with that as uh, as an audience member. It's pretty much just automatic for the most part. So, and I think the way that it works is not relying on the fact that it's automatic and giving the charm and the bond of uh, of this family. I think it's just it's so much fun and it's the it's absolutely the the not so secret weapon of I, I think the creative success and just the overall entertainment value of this movie. So much is coming from the the Khan family. But as they're bonding and figuring out, as they're swapping places and swapping powers, they figure out the next step is 
Um, she's that uh, Darben is going to be going after water, which means she's going to go after Aladna, another former home, as it turns out, of Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel. Aladna is a planet where they speak in song, and she is a princess who is married to the prince to help him with a legal issue. We are told it is just a marriage of convenience. And Kamala Khan is totally into Aladna. I love the line where uh, Monica is wondering what Carol is doing as she turns into her ball, her princess ball gown and dances with uh, with Prince Jan. I thought that was uh, really funny, a really funny line when Kamala says she's respecting the flow. That part I liked. Then Monica finally gets into it, initially getting called out for not having a very cheerful face, um, then eventually gets into it and dances along. And but then they warn that uh, Darben is coming to uh, coming to attack. But before we get into the the attack sequence, Paul, very curious your uh, your thoughts on Aladna and speaking in song. I don't have a problem with the idea. I actually rather like the idea. I also like the whole idea of because this is also a thing that's straight out of comics. I can't remember if there's a specific comic that has a thing like this. But uh, for Prince Yan, played by uh, uh, Park So Jun. Does a you know great? I like. I really enjoyed this that actual song sequence. I thought was fun, and it also did remind me of things in the comic books, especially for superheroes who frequently travel in space. That you do kind of find out they had this really odd status quo that you had no idea about, but they totally could because it's comic books and they can. Like it just is a thing that happens sometimes. That I had no problem with. I don't even have a problem with a, a planet where everybody speaks in song. The only part of it that didn't really work for me was that. The, the suggestion that the that the people of Aladna couldn't understand them if they didn't speak in song. I mean, it's they're still speaking and singing in English. Like, I, I think they got it. I mean, they could have a preference for singing. I don't know that it needed to be. It was just weird to have that be a thing that it had to be done where they could have respected the flow or respected the preference. It just kind of made it a little more confusing because anybody who needed to be able to speak not in song was already able to to not speak in song. So it just added uh, a little extra explanation to it that just didn't need to be there. Um, I also actually kind of like it more if Aladna can understand it either way. They just choose to sing. Maybe it says more about them and the choices that they make. But I was fine with the musical planet. But this was also a sequence that it really is more in the transition to the action component of it. But this is definitely another sequence where they introduce an interesting and fun concept, but then also kind of rush it off the board as quickly as possible. If you would have told me that was a part of the movie, I would not be looking forward to that, to be quite honest. And I was actually impressed of how fun that was. Yeah, the dance number was honest. great. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, I would say, it just kind of, it, 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 was, a, it, was, a, it was a welcome departure from just a typical thing and they made it fun. I like the fact, I mean, honestly, I, I think this is Brie Larson's best part of the performance in my opinion is when she's like singing, she's got a great voice. I, I, I think I've, I don't know if I said this on the show, but I think someone said that, uh, in Scott Pilgrim, she's the one singing the song by metric, um, black sheep. And it's, I remember being like, I like, I like that song so much from the movie. I was like, I checked out metric finally. And, um, and I remember listening to the song, the, the real version of the song. I went, this doesn't sound as good because Brie wasn't singing it. It was crazy. I was really impressed. And she, she's she got a good voice. And it was, a, it was a welcome kind of fun, like different thing to do that I wasn't expecting that I didn't think that lasted way too long. It was, it was a great balance of a different fun thing to do 
and without going overboard. I agree. It didn't really the whole like, you know, whatever. Like it was it, it was fine. Like I, I I agree with you though. They they didn't have to over explain it. It almost works better if it, they, they don't care. Right. You know? But at the same time, it it I that's just a, a that's a nitpick in my opinion, right? Which it I is. think you'd agree. Yeah, it's a nitpick. But but at the same time, it works still. And it works, and I liked I liked the idea of doing something different and fun, but not going overboard because that could have been way could have gone way too far really fast. I just think instead of taking the time to explain a rule that doesn't ultimately end up meaning that much anyway, because again, anybody who needs to be able to understand a a spoken word instead of a word delivered through song can, and the stuff that they say um in the spoken word doesn't really hide things from people that needs to be hidden like she sings aloud you're all in danger so if they were trying to not create a panic then you know whether it's spoken or in song uh they weren't necessarily delivering on that end but the part that i felt was really rushed though because again i i did actually enjoy the singing and the dancing so the the overall concept of it i liked a lot have some quibbles about the execution, but where it's a bigger issue for me is the moment where after they've told Prince Jan what's going on and after they have, uh, and he's given them their brand new costumes. So after we get that sequence, it's the plan is that he is going to confront slash talk to slash negotiate, sing to whatever with Darben and Monica, Carol, and Kamala are going to stay hidden until the last possible moment as a you know a, a surprise attack on Darben. But even that doesn't mean anything because Prince Jan and Darben are talking for what like fifteen seconds, and then Monica's there, and the action starts. I, I don't really know what was the point of introducing or having characters speak about a plan to us as an audience, and then immediately. Um, just nullifying the plan. I, I mean, I what that says to me is there's probably a longer conversation between Prince Jan and and Darben that was mercilessly cut at a very maybe it just needed to be for whatever reason for the flow of the movie or the flow of the scene, but it was cut, and that's why you just get that very abrupt transition of they were supposed to wait a while before the attack began, and there really is no waiting. We're just right into it. So that transition into the action as I said, felt uh, a little too abrupt for me. But then when we get into the actual action, and this is our first time seeing a big action sequence where Kamala and Carol and Monica actually are all synced up with their light entanglement powers, although they're keeping Kamala is using her new scarf as a weapon and trying not to use her powers for a while because they're trying to keep her away from Darben so Darben won't see that the other bangle she's been looking for is right there on Kamala's wrist. She does eventually see that by the end of the scene, but the the action in this sequence, as it is in really all the action sequences, I think, in this movie, the action sequences, I think, are really, really great, and this one is a ton of fun. It has a lot of really big spectacle, but also, I think, a lot of the in-close fighting. I could understand if somebody starts to, if, if you could kind of start to wonder, like, well, wait a minute, exactly how powerful is Captain Marvel? Because... In certain moments, she is all-powerful and can reignite a sun. And in other moments, she really struggles in a fight that you wouldn't imagine that she would really struggle with. But they do at least give you a little bit of a, 
him an internal logic too at this time where Darben with that bangle can absorb a lot of Carol's power and just use it back on her. So that is kind of the that's the counterbalance that I will go ahead and accept for the scene. I don't know that I totally buy it in every instance, but I'll go sure. ahead and I'll roll with it. Overall, though, the action in this sequence looks really great. And then when you get to the emotion of it, once Darben has discovered the bangle, the fight's not going well. They are losing. And this time it is, you know, Carol wanting to stay behind to save everyone on Aladna and Kamala, who ultimately hit, uh, hits the button to get them out of there. And so, and again, some of that stuff is a little too rushed because like thematically what they're going for in those scenes or the lessons being learned, I don't know that those are fully fleshed out and how quickly those things come up. So that's where, again, there's maybe some, uh, some criticisms to be had, some flaws to be found. But in terms of the, the act from an action standpoint, while I didn't like how they got into it, once the action started, it was pretty. It was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I, I like this action sequence a lot. Minus the scarf. The scarf was weird. Wasn't into the. They scarf. They had to give her something because she can't use her powers right away. So I'll, uh, I'll take it. But yeah, no. Man, but I mean, yeah. visually, obviously, it's Kamala's got really cool looking powers. So her, you know, snapping a scarf around isn't really gonna isn't really gonna count for much. Give her a weapon, for God's sakes. Come on. So anyway, like a real weapon. Anyway, that's a minor complaint. That being said, I do love this action sequence a lot. And, you know, to be honest, I thought Darben, you know, all the action scenes with her were always pretty good. They were? To be quite honest. They were really, like, they were, this, this movie has some of the better action sequences, I think, in a Marvel film I've seen in a while, to be quite honest. Like, just from, like, the, the, my favorite part, the beginning of the movie, to this I think it's much it, like they're really, really creative and really interesting. And part of that's probably because you have three heroes teaming up together, which right is probably the the main reason why that being said, I, I do think it's, it was really, really cool. And I, I loved it when they're all three working together. Yeah. Um, together. And, and this is a, a, the, the, you know, the, the main core, the start of the main course of it, which is great. So loved all the stuff minus the scarf. Um, yeah. And I, and again, like, the movie kind of lulls for me, kind of kind of puts me in like kind of a not loving it in the middle of the part. But once we get to that this new planet and we go into here, I, I'm all in. Yeah, I thought that visually there was some really really cool and fun spectacle to be had, and and yeah, and it, the marbles were looking spectacular in in that sequence. And again, that's our first chance getting to see them actually using their powers in sync with one another, and it was it really was a lot of fun. What's not so fun is the the next scene. This is the next scene is my least favorite in the movie, and perhaps that's compounded by this usually being the scene, the type of scene that amongst that is amongst my favorite in these movies or movies in general, which is the emotional catharsis, you know, the emotional resolution scene. Because as they escape from Aladna and they have their crash landing, Carol and Kamala and Monica, they exit the ship for kind of the the emotional laying it all on the line and again as i said having the emotional resolution where carol expresses the guilt she feels of what she did on hala what she thought she had to do she thought she was saving the kree from the supreme intelligence who had kept them at war for a millennia but despite her good intentions you know learning that there was a civil war afterwards I don't know that that really makes it Captain Marvel's fault, um, other than maybe she could have had more of a plan of what would happen to Hala after, or maybe stuck around and helped and not just, you know, killed the Supreme Intelligence and then left them to 
their own devices. So I guess, sure, some some responsibility there. And I understand why she feels the guilt that she does, despite her good intentions. But she cites that as the reason why she didn't go back and see Monica, because she didn't want to go back and you know show her face to Monica until she had fixed that, until she felt worthy. And then Monica accepts this as the reason why Aunt Carol didn't come back and says, well, you know, waiting until you fix things isn't what the family is all about and forgives Carol. And then Kamala adds in a line apologizing for coming on too strong in the beginning with Carol and not giving Carol the space to be a real person. And then we also have to figure out in this scene that uh, Earth solar system and Earth sun is going to be the next place that Darben is going to attack. So there's a lot that it's, it's happening in this scene and it's very, very fast and it just is not fleshed out, or at least in the way it was cut together in the final edit, it just doesn't pack the emotional punch that it should. I, I feel like there should be a lot more emotional weight to it. I feel like the actors were ultimately let down by it, and I don't know if it's because the scene was underwritten to begin with, or if it's if the material was there, and then it just ultimately didn't end up being in the final cut of the movie for whatever reason. So I'm not going to try to play a blame game of how it ended up this way. But the the end result for this scene, I just felt was really, really undercooked. Again, what they're trying to do is good. How they go about executing it is where I think it ultimately falls short. Yes, Carol does need to express that guilt. We do need kind of her final explanation on why she didn't go back and visit Monica but I felt like just giving her a few lines and then that's her you know, emotional confession with all of that. And then Monica just instantly accepting it because that's just how family works or that's not how family works or whatever it is. That just doesn't it just doesn't land the way that it should. Again, it's we do we expect that to happen like that is the emotional resolution is Carol working through this, you know, this guilt of being the annihilator as well as the guilt of uh, of not going back and, and seeing Monica. Uh, do we have to combine all of those things into being the same issue and condensing them into this one thing that can then be conveniently forgiven by Monica without really processing it? And there's no time for the characters to take to really process it. There's no moment here where these lines, A, I don't think there's enough lines, and B, I think the lines that are there are given zero time to really breathe or sink in with the actors it's just read the lines, and it's more than that for the actors. Their performances are fine. They just don't get to give enough of a performance in the scene. And I do appreciate like the moment for Kamala Khan, and I thought that was a great way to kind of put a button on the emotional resolution of the scene, since obviously there was a lot more emotional weight to be sorted through between uh, Carol and Monica, but they just moved through, they just breezed through it way too quickly and it had no time to really register and have the impact that it should have and so it, it just it, it fell flat for me and that was really disappointing that's the mo that's why i say it's the most disappointing is i felt like in terms of the emotional stuff in terms of the emotional grounding of the story as well as the connection and the bond with the characters this was a moment that really could have brought it all together and I think it just kind of falls flat. It doesn't undo everything that happened before, and I still enjoy everything that happened before. But when you talk about the difference between this movie being a good and entertaining movie and maybe being something more than that, this is a scene where that could have happened and it just didn't. You know, I have nothing else to say. That's very well said, Sean.
All right. Well, back on Saber, other things have been happening. There have been these objects that are popping up all around. We've also found out that Goose was acting kind of funny and uh, putting on weight, thanks to uh, Muniba giving us that recap. So um, there's a lot of great stuff that was happening on Saber. I mean, they were we were skipping through it, but they were cutting back to stuff. There was a great moment where Yusuf was talking about retirement planning with a 306-year-old, and when the guy said he was 306, Amir saying same age was awesome. Uh, we also are hearing these updates. As we saw in the beginning, that there's stuff happening on Saber. It's starting to malfunction including the uh, the escape pods. And then these eggs that have been laid all around Saber start to hatch, and they are, as expected, little flurkin kittens. And everyone needs to get away from Saber, and it turns out that the flurkin are now going to be the escape pods uh, for the sake of everybody else, because it's easier. There's one remaining escape pod, way easier to fit a bunch of kittens in there than a bunch of Saber crew. And so we get this sequence as Kamala, Carol, and Monica all show up to explain what they have found to Nick Fury. And as they are initially troubled by uh, the flirt and consuming all these people at Saber, uh, Nick Fury actually says that is the that is in fact the plan. And we get the the PA system with the announcements telling everybody to not be afraid and let the flirt and eat them. Also, a, a perfect needle drop that you get memory from cats playing as all these flurking kittens are consuming the Saber crew. This was a... I loved this scene a lot, Paul. I thought this whole thing with, with the flurkins and eating the Saber crew as a means of saving them with the memory needle drop, this was zany, crazy comic book fun in the, in the best way. So like I, I had an absolute blast with this. There's more emotional stuff that I'll get into that I, I really liked a lot in this sequence, but to have the flurking kittens running around and have it literally turn, uh, turn into herding cats and also herding uh, saber crew by having the cats eat them, I had a blast with this. It's it's a scene where if you described if you just described it to me, I don't know that I'd be into it or wanting to see it in a Marvel movie, but the or just a movie in general. But the way it actually played in this, I had a blast. Yeah, this was one I, I liked it, but. I know it's a comic movie. It's it's fantasy, but how does so many people fit into a little kitten? Pocket dimensions. I, That's how flirt can work. Is it pocket dimensions? Something. Yeah, they can they can consume things. It must be because yeah. it's just and they not, did set it up because they showed the they showed Goose at the beginning of the movie taking in those two Cree and then spitting them back up and they were just fine. Uh, so like they did set right. it. It's there in the internal logic of the movie. They set it up. For, for sure, for sure. Eternal logic, yes. Um, that I would agree with. But it was, it, I liked it a lot. I, I well, I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoyed that part. It's just a little, it's just, it, as it was happening, I'm like, how do they all fit into the little kit? And I'm thinking way too hard about it, honestly. But, but besides that, I like this part a lot. I liked the, like the horror aspect of that lady's like trying yes, to hide from the yeah, one. Oh, uh, that was I great. I think Talia that was, was the character name. Actor is Leela Farzad. Yes, when they did the whole thing of, getting away and turning back and appears to be okay, then turns left and there's goose and a kitten and she's gone. Uh, the guy like up against the glass or whatever, uh, was awesome. So they did a really good job of doing some like creepy, crazy horror stuff within the comedy of the whole bit that, uh, that I really liked. And it almost felt like in some ways, a little bit of a tonal departure from the rest of the movie, but I respected it because I think it ultimately worked. And I do think it added something to the film, but my favorite part of this whole sequence, though, is actually when Kamala reunites with her family 
and you get the big group hug. And, you know, Amir doesn't want to be an only child again because apparently that was miserable with those two when he was around before Kamala showed up. But um, when we talk about the Khan family as MVPs in this, you know, MVP plus goes to uh, Zenobia Shroff as Muniba, Kamala's mother. The moment between the two of them where Muniba tells Kamala that her daughter Kamala was meant for a greater purpose and even tell because Kamala is trying to explain why she has to go. And obviously this was a conversation that was had earlier on in the film, but where Muniba's at and what she tells Kamala in this moment, I, I thought was really impactful. And, and I just loved it so much. It was so touching to where she says, you know, you will, because she's meant for this greater purpose, you will always have to go because Kamala's saying, please let me go. But Muniba's response is, because Kamala was meant for a greater purpose, you will always have to go, but I will never let you go. Do you understand? Which I thought, and then she embraces and, and hugs her daughter. I just thought that was beautiful. I, I absolutely love that of, of Muniba as a mother, wanting to protect her child with every instinct says to protect her child and keep her away from harm, but also understanding why you know, with the bangle finding and choosing Kamala, all the power that Kamala has and, and who Kamala is and what she's using that power for to always be helping people in any way that she can, physically saving them, emotionally saving them, whatever it is for Muniba to kind of understand what that means of, of her daughter having to go and having to run toward danger, but also as a parent, yeah, I mean, I allow you to go because I know I can't stop you, but emotionally, spiritually, in every way that I can, I'm always going to hold on to you. I'm never letting you go because you're always, you know, you're always going to be my kid. You're always going to be my daughter. Uh, that was just a, a beautiful, beautiful moment between mother and daughter. Yeah, I, I, I love again the Khan family is why I love in the, the most in Miss Marvel, and this movie is continuing that trend of more of the Khan family, the better, in my opinion. Absolutely. They are they are rock stars. Just absolutely fantastic. And then they do get away with uh, with Nick Fury as they uh, get away in one of the remaining escape pods. I guess there were more than one or more than one ship that could be used to uh, to get out of there. But they make their way their way out and save not without some some danger being involved, but, you know, powered by a, a little bit of prayer from Amir and, and backed by Nick Fury. Uh, they make their way back down to Earth safely Meanwhile, we got to worry about our with our heroes going off to stop Darben from stealing the energy from Earth's sun to reignite her own uh, over on Hala. So the Marvels arrive to stop Darben, who has already started her plan. She's already opened up another jump point because that's how she's been getting these things, sucking the water out from Aladna, bringing it to Hala. That's how she got the atmosphere um, over to Hala from the Skrull refugee planet. And... We get a, another great fight, another great action sequence. The Marvels teaming up. The Marvels versus Darben was a really good team up heroes versus villain fight. Like the action beats in this are really, really great. And to your point, Paul, I, I do think just from from a consistency standpoint, from like one action beat to the next, this is maybe the most consistent I, I can see. And also the the action felt different. You know, I, I think Nia DaCosta as a director deserves a lot of credit for the pacing of this movie for what she did and and getting the you know really harnessing the performances of of these leads and allowing them to really connect with the audience deserves a lot of credit for that but also 
her action scenes play different than other Marvel action scenes. And and I really like the way, and that's not to knock previous Marvel action scenes. There are a lot of them that I absolutely love, but add this to, you know, another list of, of action sequences that I love for different reasons and in different ways and with, with visuals that really looked and, and felt different throughout these sequences, including this one. And then when we see uh, Darben getting wounded, and then, you know, they, they try to make peace. Uh, a promise is made for Carol as, uh, again, Monica, Tiana Paris, exposition MVP, has to explain not only how we got here, but also, oh, by the way, there might be another option besides the jump point. Carol can actually reignite Hala's son. And I know um, Monica actually didn't come to this realization until just this moment. If she had recognized it earlier, maybe they would have just gone to Hala and reignited the son and showed Darben that she didn't need to do it. But Anyway, there is a truce that appears to be made, but Darben immediately uh, breaks that truce when she gets the drop on Kamala Khan, takes Kamala Khan's bangle, and then is going to use both bangles to finish the job. Again, the jump point is already open, but to really allow her to harness the power of Earth's sun and send that energy over to Hala. That's what she is going to try to do, except even though so much of this movie has been about uh, preventing her from getting the second bangle, no issue, really, because if she once she gets the second bangle, she's pretty much immediately gone, uh, and that's it for that action sequence. So I, I didn't love the the very rushed resolution to it, and that's before we even introduce the other issue um, that I'll get to in a moment, uh, Paul. But for just this initial round of it, I really liked the fight. I really liked the attempt at a truce to try and resolve the problem in a different way. Um, another uh, performance note for Iman Vellani the way she reacts to seeing Darben get wounded, I think is it's different for her. Like she's seen violence, right? She experienced some of that obviously in her, her, her own series and she's been in fights here, but we see that she's not at all desensitized to it. Like even though that's an antagonist, a, a villain that they've been working against and trying to stop, uh, Kamala Khan is genuinely worried about Darben in that moment, which just kind of speaks to the compassion of, uh, of that character. So definitely some moments there that I really liked in addition to the action. It just felt like for all the talk of preventing Darben from getting the second bangle, the way that all came apart uh, literally so quickly for Darben once it happened, I was a little, I mean, I get it. Sometimes that happens. You get more power than you can handle. I mean, it's its its the power stone to some extent with, uh, with Ronan, although really that was the Guardians who ultimately unleashed that on him and, and stopped him in Guardians of the Galaxy. So that has happened before in superhero stories and non-superhero stories that the villain, when they finally get the ultimate power that they've sought the whole time, as soon as they get it, it's too much and problem's over or that problem is resolved for our heroes. It's just sometimes it's a trope that, that doesn't always work as well. This was one of those instances where everything up until that point in the scene, I loved, but then just the the instant kind of game over once she got the second bangle, it just just made it too fast for me. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I felt like the action sequence leading up to this, the moment where like the she kind of turns on everyone and goes, ah, you know, whatever. Um, it it's really good and fun, and then it just get it gets over super quick. And I, I to be honest, this whole ending is pretty quick. Um, oh yeah, up I, until yeah, I haven't even gotten to the real issue I have with the scene yet. Yeah, so I I would say yes, I, I liked all the action stuff. This is where I think some of the 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 runtime maybe doing a little bit more at the end would, would have been beneficial and 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 
maybe they wanted to make this movie as short as possible for reasons, you know, obviously for different reasons, you know, maybe get lure people into it. So they don't feel like they're going into a two and a half hour movie. Some people are feel daunted by that. Whatever. I don't know. People show up for two plus hour superhero movies yeah. all I, I the time. So I don't, not, I don't, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know that, it, you know, an hour and 45 minute runtime is a sales pitch. Yeah. So I'm just, I, I would say after this, it starts to get a little, it gets a little probably some of the weakest parts of the movie are, are probably, is probably how it, it, it's, it ends, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think that, look, a runtime is just a number, which is why I, I say that every time when we, because we always find out the runtime before we see the movie, because usually once tickets go on sale, everybody looks at the runtime on Fandango or whatever online ticket retailer they're looking at to get their tickets and people see it, and everybody reacts to it, and people were reacting to this one early on. It's the shortest Marvel movie. That must be a sign of trouble. It is not an inherently bad thing to have a shorter movie. It's not It's not about, just like it's not inherently a good thing, it's not this direct correlation where the longer a movie is, the better it is, and the shorter the movie is, the worse it is. It doesn't actually work like that. So it really is what do you do with the time you have. And I think that it's easy to look at this movie and say they really could have used an extra five or ten minutes. And sure, that's fine, but also they could have just done a little bit less in the time that they had. They didn't have to. This story doesn't need to have Monica stranded in in another reality. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't have to happen that way in this story. That's obviously a bit more about what happens next in the MCU, which is fine. I don't have a problem with these stories as they have in the past, resolving their main story in within the confines of a given story while also allowing for uh, allowing space for the story to continue and setting up things in the broader universe. All of that stuff is fine uh, in terms of the, the concept of doing it, the idea of doing it. Clearly, I have no problem with Marvel Studios doing that. In this instance, though, the way they set it up means they needed more time to have this set up. If this movie ends or the the big end of the action set piece is defeating Darben, then that's fine. Then what they could do is take the five minutes that they're, or less than five minutes, take the couple extra minutes that they're about to spend putting Monica in another reality and just fleshing out that finale with Darben. They could have done that within the same runtime. But since they are making the choice to have something else that's going to bleed into the next movie, then yeah, spare a few extra minutes in the runtime to go ahead and set and to go ahead and really set up that transition. And it's not to say there's no setup throughout the movie. They do tease that if Darben keeps opening these various jump points, the way that she's doing it with the bangle, it's going to, and if she and it could get even worse if she gets the second one that these are not very stable. That's why they caused the whole light entanglement issue in the first place, but it's going to be the instability is only going to get worse and it's going to cause bigger problems. So there is some setup in the story, but the way we transition to it in the final action sequence, that's where it's all just, it's too much, it's too fast to where Darben is now off the board, but now Monica, once again, uh, having to explain what the, the problem really is now, of a different reality bleeding into ours. And so Monica gets uh, infused with some of the power of a Miss Marvel who now has two bangles or quantum bands, which probably haven't even talked about quantum bands, but (laughs) 
the uh, Ms. Marvel who doesn't keep two. She has two for this moment, and then eventually uh, Captain Marvel ends up with one of them, and Kamala keeps her original one that she found in the Ms. Marvel Disney Plus series. But anyway, Carol and Kamala use their powers to amplify the powers of Monica, who then flies through the jump point to the other side because she has to close it from the close that jump point from the other side, which means as an audience member, you just know that means Monica's not coming back. Not immediately apparent to Carol and Kamala, uh, but then it becomes apparent as they realize the jump point is closing and uh, Monica is staying there. And then she tells them that this was always the plan, that she always knew that she was going to have to stay. And so she closes the jump point, the hole in the reality between, you know, the closes that, you know, the jump point that was causing the two realities, different realities to bleed into one another. She stops that, stranded in the other reality. And then Carol uh, goes off to fulfill her, her promise of reigniting the sun in, uh, at, at, for Hala. Kamala Khan goes back to Earth and tells Nick Fury what happened with, uh, with Monica and so, as I said, Paul, I don't have a problem with them doing this, but if you are going to do it, please have a bit more of a windup because that's also a big hero moment for Monica that she's making this yeah. sacrifice. So really let that sink in and let that mean something. As soon as you've told the audience that this is what she's doing, you're also telling her, oh, by the way, she's not coming back, which again, you can kind of sense as an audience member, but just because you can sense things, just because you can kind of predict in your head that maybe this is where it might go, it's not the same as you really feeling it. And I, I think that's no. where this sequence fell short. Yeah, it was uh, the, the quantum band's name drop was rad because um, that's obviously going to lead to something else. And it's not going to, you know, the bingo is not going to stay with Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel. So it's, it's going to be. Well, and there's different yeah. ones. Binary has her own, too, in the mid credit scene. Oh my god! I forgot. Oh my god! Every universe, anyway. every reality has its own quantum bands. Oh boy! Um, it's yeah. So I, yeah, this was. They're just going to end up in a drawer in the TVA like Infinity Stones. Pro yeah, probably. Yeah, th again, I can't really add much more other than just the fact that yeah, this is where it was. It felt very lackluster at this point in the movie. It, and again, it's unfortunate because you've really done a good job of building up uh, Captain, or I would say, uh, Photon Spectrum whoever you want to call her, Monica Rambo's character at this point. And it, it definitely feels anticlimactic in a way of how she has to go out. Very, anyway, at least as far as my, you know, what I, my perception. So. Yeah. I, I just think it's a, it's a big hero moment for her that could have, uh, that could have meant more. I mean, I do like what it, and we'll get into this more when we actually talk about the mid credit scene. I mean, I like what it means for Monica in terms of her significance in the MCU to be put in this spot. But just within this uh, within this chapter, within this story, uh, I feel like that scene just deserved to had a chance to make a, a lot more impact than than what it was ultimately given the opportunity to do. And then as kind of the the epilogue for this movie, we're in Louisiana at the the old Rambo family home. And it kind of looks like Carol is moving in. I mean, it's we see the little platter for from her and the prince being brought in. There's boxes being brought in, so it looks like it's Carol's stuff. Although I don't know, maybe the cons need to move in too uh, because their house was pretty destroyed. But although it seems like Kamala is still based out of Jersey City or very close to New York by the end of the movie, I'm not really sure. I, I know that uh, Muniba was telling Amir that it was a great place to, it'd be a great house to raise children in, which. 
I don't think was uh, her way of trying to hook him up with Carol because her son is already married. We all went to the wedding uh, and, and he spoke to his wife on the phone uh, in this film. But in any event, um, yeah, I, I don't know what she's hinting at there. Or maybe she's feeling like this is just the best place for Amir and his wife to live uh, long term. Either way, the Khan family continue to be a lot of fun. Him trying to use the remote to mute her or turn her off, I thought was, you know, was classic, uh, classic response to mom's meddling. But then when we get to Carol and Kamala in the plane and they're they're having a chat about everything that happened that happened now, it's Carol, like Maria before her, believing that Monica is going to be back, that Monica is not gone forever. And Kamala is hoping uh, is hoping that Carol is right about that because Kamala's talking about just how much she loved being with the Marvels and how they were a great team and just Mar- she loved being on a team and that got her thinking. As we cut to New York, not even really a, a mid-credit scene, just a, uh, a pre-credit scene, which is normally just a movie, but uh, we cut to New York and it is Kamala Khan in her best Nick Fury impersonation and it's really more of her imagining. Of, that's why I also like that the lines are not exactly the same. Because remember, that's not a movie that that happened in, in the internal logic of the MCU. So nobody else really knows what happened between Nick Fury and Tony Stark. But Kamala, using her best imagination of what might have happened, uh, goes ahead and, uh, and gives her best guess. And she's close enough as she gives her best Nick Fury to recruit Kate Bishop for a team that Kamala's putting together while calling out specifically that there are a lot of kids who have superpowers to which Kate Bishop points out that she's 23, but close enough, young enough to be part of this new team. I don't know if this is going to be Kamala's new version of the Marvels, or maybe that's reserved for her and Captain Marvel. I think she'll probably hang on to the Marvels for that group. So Young Avengers, Champions, whatever you want to call it. Paul, of course, we know you favor Young Avengers, and I'm fine with whatever they want to call it. But in any event... I love this scene because we've been talking about this. They, of course, Kamala does mention as of right now, uh, Kate Bishop was her first recruiting stop, but she's also aware that Ant-Man has a daughter who maybe is a superhero now. So Mm. this young Avengers, young heroes team up that we have been talking about and speculating on that as fans have been doing for literally years now, for actually coming up on several years now of talking about this, I sure hope this is something they follow up on. I I obviously know that Marvel is slowing down. They're not making as much stuff. Obviously, the performance of this movie makes you wonder about how much they're going to follow up on specific threads from this movie. But this is a good one, and this is worth following up on. So I really hope we do see Kamala Khan, Kate Bishop together, and whoever else joins this team. I love this scene and and really want to see it uh, really want to see it carried forward. Yeah, this was awesome, and seeing Kate Bishop is great because I love that Hawkeye series, and I, I love the fact that she takes that little tablet thing and mm-hmm. is now going to use that basically to recruit right. the you know the the whoever you know. I mean, I I, I did like that that the fact that she's she can kind of do that now, and she kind of you know can kind of Which intermingle. But clearly, means Nick Fury is helping her too. Yeah, exactly. And so he's got a, you know, so I do like this idea of, of them being put together and there's more young heroes that are going to be introduced, which will be fun to, you know, to get into. So, uh, you know, in the future. So I do hope and, and think that there's this, this movie will happen soon. And it feels like this is the next logical step for both Kate and for, 
uh, Miss Marvel, obviously, and and Cassie from you know obviously from the uh, Ant Man movie. So it feels like the next movie in their contract is pro- is probably going to be this one, and it very well could be. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I I hope to God it's not champions, but you know that, I just hate that name to death. It's just weird to me. But that being said. I do think that you know, there's lots of cool new characters that we're going to be seeing that that movie too, and I, I hope to, I hope they, I hope to see them soon. So yeah, this was there's we get the we'll save these, these topics for later because I feel like I could go a long time about this and what what it could mean, but uh, but yeah, I, I, the fact that we're going to be getting some kind of Young Avengers team, I'm all in. Yeah, us talking a long time about something that might happen in the future of Marvel, I don't buy it, but uh, anyway. Never. Yeah, it's never happened before, but you you never know. Who who knows? We're coming up on episode 300. A new era could begin. But um, yeah, and I and just again, to go back to like the main resolution to the plot of this movie with that moment between um, Kamala and Carol, though you could also say that was maybe not as strong of a resolution since it immediately handed off to this scene. But that's also sometimes that happens in these movies, and I was fine with it in this instance because I, I still feel like they they covered most of what they needed to cover to have some of those things land. Um, and also, I don't really know that there was a way after the fact to really get more out of what happened with uh, Monica and her sacrifice because I felt like you needed more of that to be done in the actual scene where uh, where that took place. But I, I liked, of course, Kamala Khan putting together her own team with maybe a little bit of help, a little bit of tech, a little bit of intel from uh, from Nick Fury. And it does just kind of make sense that Nick Fury would um, you know, be helping out Kamala Khan with this because he's always going to be trying to put together teams of superheroes, even if it's really just more of supporting another hero, putting together her own team. And then we get to the mid credit scene where we catch up with Monica. She wakes up in a hospital. She turns and she sees what looks like Maria Rambo, her mother, and she's emotionally responding to, as you might anticipate, her mother, who's she, you know, similar to, of course, what happened when she came back from the blip. She came back from the blip to realize her mother was gone. Now she's waking up to realize her mother is there, only it's not her mother. Looks like Maria Rambo, might even have the name Maria Rambo, but doesn't have a daughter named Monica, or if she does, this version uh, is not her, this Monica, the one that we know, is not this new Maria Rambo's daughter. And we are finding out that this is indeed binary, is the superhero name, the code name of this Maria Rambo. But we also, who also walks in, a voice that we hear right away, a shade of blue that we recognize, Dr. Hank McCoy, Beast, as voiced by Kelsey Grammer, who of course played the character in the Fox X-Men films. No makeup or prosthetics this time around. It is a CG version of Beast, which I love because it looks exactly like Beast. Looks like the live action or CG version coming right out of the you know X Men the animated series in 1992, or subsequent iterations of Beast uh, in the comic books. And so, as far as what this means, I don't know that this really lived up to. The moment that changes everything, as Marvel was teasing for this film uh, a few days before it came out with its final trailer. More on that on Fanshow Plus. But obviously, it's big to have an entirely different reality where, I mean, and we knew something like this had to exist. We saw a Patrick Stewart, a Sir Patrick Stewart, Charles Xavier in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This does still feel a bit bigger than that, because now what we have is not some intersection 
with the Illuminati, where different heroes from different universes have come together. This is an entire reality where the X-Men seem to be fully established, where we do have binary, we have Beast, and he's referring to Charles Xavier in the scene. So there's a Charles Xavier who is still around in this sequence. And Paul, just like the, the scene before it, obviously, this will have to be its own show at some point, talking more about what all this can mean and, and where we what we hope it means, where we want to see it go from here. But while I, while I don't think it's the massive moment that maybe some people, you know, build it as, um, or maybe some people might feel that it, it genuinely is, it still is pretty significant in the sense that now we are showing right on the precipice of, of Deadpool 3 that in the multiverse, there are realities where the X-Men are just fully fledged and just out there and have their full-on status quo, and that being a reality that can eventually, via Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars or Deadpool 3 or wherever, whatever, can ultimately intersect. That Monica might have been able to stop the bleeding this time in terms of one reality bleeding into another, but I think all she's really done is delayed the inevitable. And I do like this spot, as I was alluding to earlier, for Monica. I like that this character now is like the first person from the MCU proper to have an inside perspective on and a firsthand perspective on an MC on a an X-Men reality um, that's within the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. So all of those things are big. They are inter- they are interesting. They are a lot of fun. But really, my biggest takeaway from it is visually beast looked like beast. And that's maybe the thing that made me the happiest out of anything in this scene. Yeah, that was a surprise. Um, I'm really shocked that they put Monica in this universe. And what does that mean? And we can, and again, we will, we'll dive into that later, but I, I, I was shocked. I, I was not expecting Kelsey Grammer to be back as, as beast. And, um, that was very interesting. And I, and Kelsey Grammer's Beast is great. I love I love that character from that movie. I thought he was one of the better uh, things from that movie. Um, and yeah, like this was to me the big the biggest shock for me honestly was probably uh, the fact that Binary, a massive deep cut, uh, is made it in the movie, and I'm like, whoa, that is pretty insane. So binary, if just we'll, okay, we'll talk about it later. But if you want to look it up, what it is, it's nuts. Like the fact they went that deep, it's like man, they're going, they're going deep in this Captain Marvel focused movie. It's, you know, that's all I'll say. But yeah, I was, I was shocked, uh, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised, and uh, I am. Uh, we'll talk more about this later. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there will be plenty to follow up on. Um, for what this means for X-Men and the MCU going forward. I think, obviously, the choice to have Maria Rambo as binary here is also to emotionally ground the scene and give something... Like, you can't... It's a totally different scene if it's a bunch of people Monica doesn't recognize or two people that Monica doesn't recognize to have... But And you also, I think, want to show that, that these realities can be very, very similar in some ways and yet drastically different. And many others. And one more thing I would want to note on it before we you know, get back to the, the main movie and, and wrap everything up. It did kind of have a, an adversarial tone to it. I mean, not so much coming from Beast, who is just more of, you know, wanting to get a report from Charles, but where Binary kind of wants to take over in that scene. And at the end of it is just giving the, the who the hell are you? 
and also you know removing the blanket or whatever and just showing the full-on superhero costume and you can see that uh, that she has a quantum band i just think that there's there's something brewing here which you know also bleeds into secret wars and, and universes battling one another but uh, certainly a very adversarial tone that uh, felt a, a little uh over a different issue, clearly, and not uh, Phoenix Force issues or whatever, but there's a little Avengers versus X-Men vibes, I felt, uh, just a, a little bit in that scene, which I don't know that that's what they're really building toward, to have AVX be part of Secret Wars in some way, although you could certainly see where some of that would present an opportunity, but I'll leave it there, because I, I still have to really control more of my own thoughts, or harness more of my own thoughts on what this means, and what I'm even hoping for, and and where it goes with Deadpool 3, because uh, there's obviously more that we're going to be talking about with Deadpool 3, and obviously we know that it's going to be the only, Mar- it's the next Marvel Studios movie that we're going to see as of current the current release schedule. It's the only one we're going to see in 2024 as of the current release schedule. I don't anticipate that changing, so no more Marvel movies for eight more months, but Maybe a break is uh, is good for everyone at, at this point with the way some things are going. But I'll save more of those. Uh, I'll, I'll expand on those comments in Fan Show Plus again. Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcast subscriptions. And you can find those episodes there. But Paul, just to wrap up here with some overall thoughts on the Marvels. I, I think if you've been listening to the show all the way until uh, this point when you've been with us these whole two hours. Bless you. Thank you. We appreciate you. But also, I think what you've heard in my in my own assessment of the movie is a lot of stuff that I really, really liked. But then also, as we got toward the end of the movie, maybe some things where it, it just kind of started skewing. There were, for the first maybe two-thirds of the movie, it's a lot more positive than negative, And that ratio kind of starts to switch a little bit as we get towards the end. Not so much so that it prevented me from entertain, being entertained by this movie. I obviously still like this movie quite a bit, and there are certainly a lot of elements, uh, more specifically characters, that I, I love to see in this movie and was uh, greatly entertained by and will be a highlight of re-watching this movie. I've seen it a couple times now and certainly plan to see it several more times, not necessarily all those being in a theater, but as time goes on and we get the movie at home as well. I think there's a lot to revisit here and a lot of fun to be had over and over and over again. At the same time, I fully recognize that there's probably there's definitely some flaws here. There's a better version of this movie. There's a better version that this movie could have been, and I, I do feel like maybe that's happening a-, a little more often than we would like on some of these Marvel projects. I, and I do anticipate that a lot of those problems will start to be resolved as Marvel slows down and, and does uh, less things. But because this was a movie that. In so many ways, I loved the fast pace, but there were also some elements that just felt too rushed. And so, a lot of what I loved about this movie, or what I, a lot of what I loved about this movie, also kind of created some of the issues that uh, ultimately I think undermined some of it. But you can vary your pace, you can change speeds in a story, and this one I felt like needed to change speeds a couple times and just downshift a little bit to just live in some of those more emotional moments, and a better movie would have emerged from it. But In the end, what we got was a movie that I had a lot of fun with and I really, really enjoyed with characters that I had that I rooted for here and am very excited about continuing to root for as their stories continue. Yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching this again. Um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for the most part, and I'm curious where it lands eventually after I watch it a couple of times. 
Um, I think Miss Marvel's great. I think Monica Rambo's great. And I I thought that the parts that the, I liked Brie Larson in were good. Uh, yeah, she she did well in and on, on the parts that she didn't. Yeah, I I'm curious where they go with her as a character next. But uh, for the most part, this movie I enjoyed. I'm looking forward to where Marvel's going. I know I I. The multiverse saga has, has been very interesting in a lot of different aspects, but uh, I've enjoyed it a lot, and I'm I can't wait to see where it goes with Deadpool next, and uh, and yeah, I'm ready to I'm ready to di- dive deeper in these uh these these uh, other end end movie and post credit scenes uh, things we've got eventually. So yeah, looking forward to that. Absolutely, plenty more to come right here on MCU Fan Show. So make sure you continue to subscribe to the pod, or if you haven't already, you know, hit subscribe, whatever your preferred uh, podcatcher may be. Do people say still say podcatcher? I don't know. I've been doing this a long I time. No I've been way too long. Uh, not too long, though. I plan on keep doing it for, for quite some time. But in any event, uh, thank you all so much for your continued support, Jay, by just listening to this show. For those of you who support us on by subscribing to Fanshow Plus via patreon.com slash Sean Gerber on Apple Podcasts, Thank you so much for that and just affording uh, us even more opportunities to talk about these characters and stories that we love so much and the news surrounding these characters and stories that we love so much. It is very much appreciated. Uh, make sure you follow us uh, where you can. We're at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, or X now, uh, and it's me at Herman22 with two ends, aka P Thug. Also, go ahead, head over to the Comic Binge YouTube channel and check me out there and subscribe. Appreciate it. And everyone who already has, super appreciate you. Yep. And you can follow me on, oh, I almost did it, X, formerly Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>